0: Well, again, welcome to Large Group. Um, If you're new or visiting for the first time, uh, welcome. So glad that you're here. Of course, my name is David Barnes, and I'm the RUF campus minister. Um, At RUF, uh, we're beginning to say, soon we'll say we like to say, but we're beginning to say that you are never so bad uh, that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and that you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. The point is whether you're on a mountaintop coming into this room or maybe you're in one of the valleys or somewhere in, be, in between, I want you to know that you belong here in this space. Not because we have it all together or we somehow have figured it all out, but because God is pursuing you in Jesus. If you're sitting here tonight, God is at work in your life. It's, like I said that you may not believe everything that Christians believe, um, You may have questions and doubts, and again, you belong here uh, with those, and this is a safe place for you to to ask good questions about who Jesus is and, and what his death and his life and death and resurrection means for you. God longs to be in relationship with you. Have you ever thought about it like that? That his whole mission is to be in relationship with you, because he loves you, and he will go, quite literally, to the ends of the earth and pursuing your heart. And so he invites you to commune with him tonight as we join our voices together in worship, um, or we commune with him tonight through each other and through the listening and hearing of God's holy word to his people. So I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. We're so glad that you're here tonight. Um, if you would uh, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, whether you have an app on your phone. Um, I always encourage you bring a physical Bible. Like, it's just good to have a physical Bible. Um, if you need one, we have uh, Bibles out there on the table that are free. Um, you can take you can take one. Um, I, we would love to to bless you in that way. But yeah, there's just something about having a physical Bible open. And another thing that I often say is, what I preach is in the Bible. And I want you guys to say, yeah, I can I can kind of see what he's saying. I can see where he's getting that, so that you know I'm not just making things up. But but we're looking at the text and we're walking through it verse by verse. Um, and so, so far uh, this semester, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, right? And we spent three weeks in the Beatitudes where Jesus begins to paint this picture of what human flourishing looks like in his kingdom. And who better than the king to come and share about what does human flourishing really look like? But to be honest, if we're honest with ourselves, like what we get is not what we expect, right? Blessed are human flourishing are those who are poor in spirit right? Those who admit their spiritual need, they admit that outside of God's grace, we do not bring anything to salvation. The only thing that you bring to salvation is your need. The only thing you bring is your sin. That is the one requirement. And so we come to God spiritually bankrupt and we say, Lord, there's nothing that we can do. Say, think, accomplish. that will earn your favor, but you bestow it freely because you are a God of love, steadfast love, chasing love, love that pursues, right? Um, I hope you know that, right, that's a big part of my story, as God relentlessly pursued me in the darkness of drugs and alcohol while I was at Mizzou, and he did not stop until I was right here, right now, sharing his word with his people. So what a gift. But blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Human flourishing are those who mourn sin, sin of the world, our own sin, and then that leads to meekness. We don't use that word very often, that humility, that raw humility, Of recognizing our need, mourning our sin, and then coming outward towards God and hunger and thirsting for righteousness because we know that's how the world was always meant to be. And so God slowly changes our hearts to see this vision of the way the kingdom was always meant to be before we decided to define good and evil. But then we see that all of this human floor it leads to persecution. Oh, you lost me, right? This isn't the Christian life that I thought, right? I thought whenever I became a Christian, blessings are coming. They're coming my way. It's all about I turn to Jesus and now He's going to give me all of my desires of my heart. Well, Jesus says that blessed are those who revile you. Blessed are those who persecute you and utter all kinds of evil, some slander. But for what? For righteousness sake. For righteousness sake. It's all culminating in this upside down radical twist that human flourishing is found amidst or amid suffering in the time of waiting for God to bring about his just and righteous reign from heaven on earth. And that's what we're going to talk about next time. We're going to start to unpack the Lord's prayer, right? Our Father who is in heaven. Bring, bring your kingdom reign. That's, that's where Jesus starts. He starts with our Father, bring your kingdom reign. What a beautiful prayer. One author said it this way, true human flourishing is found in the midst of and even in a mysterious way because of persecution and suffering. I'm gonna say that one more time. True human flourishing is found in the midst of and even a mysterious way because of persecution and suffering. We see this in our suffering servant, Jesus we see that he is not a sword wielding conquering hero, but he is a lowly servant who empties himself and he dies an unjust death on the cross for our sins. that 's what flourishing looked like that 's what Jesus' life presents to us. And so again, we see at the beginning of this passage that Jesus he sits down in a place of revelatory presence, meaning. He sits down on top of a mountain where God always reveals his revelation. Think back to Moses whenever he gives the Ten Commandments. Well, Jesus is very clearly making a connection as Jesus is the greater Moses. And he sits down on the mountain of authority and he begins to speak real. He gets real. He starts spitting facts with his disciples about what it will look like to follow him. And what we get is not what we expect. And so what can they expect if they do? Well, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5 this evening, just verses 13 through 16. And this is kind of the, the heading is salt and light. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this evening. So if you would, um, again, if you have your Bibles open, your phone app, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Beloved, wherever you find yourself this evening, this is God's word. And this is a true gift that we have it. Let us hear. Let us receive And let it um, soak in our hearts. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it tells us that the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but God's word is what stands forever. Let's pray and ask him that he would open up our minds to receive it. Most gracious, merciful Father, and it is that endearing language that Jesus himself, for the first time in the book of Matthew, tells his disciples to call him this Father. Father. What a bold thing that we can do now because of what Jesus Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection. He adopts us into his family so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, as our Father, would you grant us wisdom? Would you open up the eyes of our hearts to see what you would like us to see in your word? Would you give me clarity in speech, um, but also allow me to get out of the way as a sinful, broken human being myself, um, so that you may be glorified and you may be seen through the preaching of your word. Father, you do promise us that whenever your word goes out, it never returns empty. Would you allow that to be true this evening? In Jesus' name, amen. In 1997, the inspiring story of a young woman uh, born in Mongoria, Pakistan, begins. Malala grew up attending school where her father was a teacher, and he ran an all-girls school in their village. Malala was very passionate about school and she desired to be a doctor one day so that she can ultimately help her people. But in 2008, all of that changed. The Taliban came in and they took control of their village and they banned women to get any type of schooling or education. So despite not being allowed to go to school, Malala courageously began to speak out about girls' education and their right to learn. And this ultimately received international attention where she was on times magazine and and the news and of course what do you think this did it made malala a target to the taliban and in october 2012 malala was on her bus and uh the taliban came onto the bus and said where is malala and shot her in the head in the left temple but miraculously malala survived the gunshot wound and kept on fighting Malala commented, it was then I knew I had a choice. I could live a quiet life or I could make the most of this new life that I've been given. So instead of this silencing her, just a year later, she wrote a best-selling memoir and created this Malala Fund, right? All these people give all this money for, um, for places that do not have education, especially for women, and they give to these places, and so she created this fund and it champions the right for all women to get education. And then a couple years after that, in 2014, Malala received the Nobel Peace Prize and became the youngest ever Nobel winner because of her heroism. And so what do y'all think it is about Malala's story that inspires us and the world? What do you think it is? I think for me I think part of it is we understand and even admire the type of encourage the type of courage bravery and backbone that it is required to go against the grain like that to stand up for rights whenever the Taliban quite literally is in town and she probably knew that that they were going to find out I think we admire the heroism of what it takes to stand up for what we believe in but if we're really honest I think it's so inspiring to the world and to us because it reveals our own hesitation. It reveals our own weakness and our own feebleness to speak up whenever our beliefs or our system of thought is challenged. And so in silence, I think we think, I wish I could have done that. Wow, I wish I was that courageous. I wish I could have stood up in the midst of persecution and stand for what I believe in. And in many ways, I believe Jesus is meeting us in this tension this evening and answering this question or kind of two-part question is, how do we live into or grow into the kingdom? And then how do we live out of the kingdom? How do we live into the kingdom and out of this new kingdom that he brings in his life? Well, Jesus invites us to explore this question in two primary ways. Number one, we are called to live out of who we are. And number two, we are called to live for whose we are. So number one, we are called to live out of who we are, and then number two, we are called to live for whose we are. We are called to live out of who we are. Again, notice that the audience, whenever we first started, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. With that topical sentence, we should see that The disciples are the main people that Jesus is talking to here, which is important for how we interpret the entire Sermon on the Mount. But it's also important to know that the crowds are present. Non-Christians are present. People who don't believe in Jesus are present. And they are hearing these things that Jesus is saying, okay? And then he comes out with two identity statements. Did you hear it? He says, you are the salt of the earth, number one. Number two, you are the light of the world, so, we're going to break this down a little bit. Look with me in verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. I want you to notice something, though, in the Beatitudes, right? It says, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. But in 11, there's a transition. And it says, Blessed are you when others revile you. That's important because this transition actually connects salt and light. So, he's connecting verse 11 Blessed are y'all. It's actually plural. So, don't just make this individualized. So, so he's actually saying, blessed are y'all when others revile y'all and persecute y'all. You know, so he's, he, he wants you to hear that this is collective. And then he's connecting persecution with being salt and light. So, I want you to see that there's a connection between those. And so, when he says you are the salt of the earth, he's saying y'all are collectively. I think in an individualized culture, we think too much about me, myself, and I. And what Jesus is talking about here is the collective, the community, the Christian church. He's talking about our mission. He's talking about this kingdom that's piercing in as the king, and he's redeeming people. He is saving them from their sins in order to be this collective, to bring his mission to the world, and ultimately to restore all things that have been broken. And then he says this, he says, you are, y'all are the salt of the earth not just being the disciples in context, but he's actually, this is a proper move now because we just read it in context. He is speaking to the disciples, but he's also speaking to us. He's speaking to those who believe and trust in him. He's speaking to those who trust that Jesus' primary means by which and through whom he is going to continue to bring this kingdom is through his community. What a beautiful gift. Can we just like pause just for a second? The way that Jesus, right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then sending Jesus, the way that they came up with, right, this reality of of one God, three persons, but the way that they're inviting us into this beautiful story is to be a part of the redemption. What a beautiful opportunity since we are such a big part of the rebellion, right? We were the rebellion, and so it's so beautiful that he, he invites us into this new kingdom to be a part of the restoration, the renewal, Notice what it does not say. It does not say y'all ought to be. It does not say y'all ought to be the salt of the earth or you should be or you could be the salt of the earth. It is a statement of fact. He starts with your identity. He starts with grace. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. He begins with our identity. Jesus begins with his high view of his disciples, of his people, of the people that he has come to redeem, to restore, and to forgive I want you to see that Jesus sees you in a very high light, that we are a part of his restoration. We are a part of his kingdom, and he's giving us a role to play, a function to live out. He begins with grace. He begins with who we are. You are. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. He starts with identity. He starts with grace then Jesus moves to our function. What do I mean by function? What do I mean by that? Well, these images of salt and light, Jesus is saying something about who we are. Salt, right? What do we know about salt? Generally, right, salt is something that we add to our food in order to bring about really good taste or even to preserve food is like the most basic. I know we can do a lot of different things with salt. Those are the most basic. Thus, salt preserves, it purifies, it flavors, and it prevents decay. In other words, we add salt to food in order to impede the growth of pathogens and spoilage, right? That's why we add salt to food. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is calling us to live out who we are as salt on the earth, meaning Jesus declares our identity, grace, who we are, we are salt. It's not, here's what you should be, here's what you could be. This is who you are. If you follow me, you are the salt of the, of the earth. And it's not because of anything you do. You notice it's a proclamation on you, which is by grace. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones who are following me. I called you just like he did previous to this verse. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers, fishermen, fishers of men, right? Where the disciples are like, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. No, they were busy doing their thing. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they dropped what they were doing, and they began to follow. You notice how Jesus, he declares a fact about who you are, and then comes, right, either a challenge or a calling or something to live out, a function. And then he challenges us to live out that calling. So in the Bible, God always begins with grace. If you've never heard this, he always begins with grace. And if you want to challenge me on this, go and look at Exodus, right? Chapter 20, when, right before he gives the law. He says, for I am Yahweh. Yahweh is his personal name. And he says, for I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. That's what Yahweh means in Hebrew. I will be who I will be, right? I am the Lord your God who, who saved you, who brought you out of slavery from the Egyptians. By the way, another word for that? Salvation. I saved you. I delivered you from slavery to The Egyptians, therefore, have no other gods before me. Grace always drives imperative, always. It's always indicative drives imperative. Indicative is a statement of fact. Imperative is what we are to do. This is the biblical narrative. It always starts here and it is consistent all the way through, which means truly salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you you see it? Truly salvation belongs to the Lord. What I mean by that is there's nothing you can do. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. He bestows it freely because he loves you. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he loves you. We have a God who loves deeply and he chases us. One author put it this way. He said, in Jesus' teaching, wholeness stands as God's gift at the beginning of Not the end. I'm going to say it again. In Jesus' teaching, wholeness stands as God's gift at the beginning of a performance, not the end. Meaning, you're starting with the grace that you need to actually do the call that God gives you. You're starting with the equipment, so to speak. You're starting with what you need. Right? Other philosophies in the world will say that you ought to be this and you should be better. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do these five things, you'll be healthier. You know, do these seven things, eat better, work out, you know, I can't name it off that quickly. But the idea is you should be this way. Jesus comes in and he says, you are. You are the salt. You are the light. You are already the apple in my father's eye. And I want you to see that. Jesus is calling us to live out of who we are. We are the salt of the earth, meaning he declares our identity. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that, His disciples' power. Where does their power lie? Well, if you're being called to be salt, you're being called to be distinctive, right? You're being called to be different or wholly other, if you will. The disciples are called to be different, pure, good, flavorful, tasty. And at the same time, just as salt is for food, we're not supposed to, we're not just like, oh, well, they're tripping over there. I'm going to go over here, right? What is salt for? It's for food. Well, as as God declares, you are the salt of the earth, he calls us to be for the world, not away from it, or not pointing our finger judging it. It's not us versus them. It's not Christians versus non Christians. That's not the biblical narrative. That's not what Jesus died for. But what if disciples don't look any different, right? What if disciples don't look any different from the world around them? Well, look at verse 13, and let's see what it says in the rest of verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down, thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Again, Jesus begins with blessing. He begins with identity, and then he moves immediately to a solemn warning. So he begins with grace and a call, but there's also a warning with a call. One author said it really well. Salt can either function, uh, sorry, salt can either pursue its function and enter food or deny its function either by entering the food, by not entering the food at all or by entering the food and ceasing to be salt there. I'm going to say it one more time. Salt can either pursue its function, enter food, or deny its function either by not entering the food at all or by entering the food and ceasing to be salt there. And so, what do I mean by that? Well, I figured I would move into application here and say, right, I'm I'm going with the text. There's a warning here. So application has to move towards warning. Maybe for some, we feel the pressure from the surrounding culture and peers and classmates to be less religious, right, quote unquote, or less Christian because we are afraid of what they may think of us. And so we become lax on sin, right? So instead of saying something whenever a group of our friends are slandering a peer or a classmate or a teacher, we fall silent. Or instead of rejecting to take a completed homework assignment or an easy way to cheat on that test, we do what everybody else is doing, right? And we take the homework or the help and we make life easier for us. Or instead of calling out a friend who is looking at Things that they shouldn't on the internet. We take the position like, who am I to judge, right? Um, because we want to cover up for our fear to to bring conflict to a Christian brother or sister, um, where actually God's word calls us to pursue them in their sin, um, graciously, right? And so whenever we throw up like, who am I to judge, right? I, I think like our heart is in the right place, but it's actually unbiblical to say that <laughs> because God calls us as Christians, as y'all are the salt of the earth, to actually be in each other's lives and to be a shining light of, yes, grace and humility, of course, but to move toward our brothers and sisters and say, hey, this is not good for you. And that's not being hateful. That's being love-filled. That's a gracious friend thing to do. Whatever it may be for you, I can't name every single sin, but I do want you to think about maybe something um, that has been on your heart, that the Lord has laid on your heart lately. Jesus provides... This is his first warning to his disciples. Because, but, but notice, though, he doesn't, he doesn't start with warning. He starts with, you are the salt of the, of the earth. Like, this is who you are. This is your identity. And so, of course, it makes sense that Jesus moves toward a warning because he wants us to live out who we are. That's why my first main point is, live out who you are, because this is what is true about you. This identity is what is true about you. Where, could, where, where might you be taking shortcuts? Where might you not be raising your voice because we're scared? Where might we, where, where might we raise our voice in courage, much like Malala did, you know, and, and actually fall privy to what Jesus is saying, that human flourishing are those who revile you. Because guess what happens whenever everybody, I'm going to use the cheating one because everybody cheats. Um, I'm going to use the cheating one because it's like, what happens if like everybody's cheating and you're not? You're almost you're almost like a mirror to them, you know. And then they're going to revile you, or they're going to slander you, or they're going to be like, oh well, you know, they're not going to include you, because really, what your behavior is doing, it's bringing salt to the earth. You're preserving goodness, and you're not allowing these things that are that are the the other kingdom, so to speak, the kingdom of darkness. You're not allowing those things to continue to take root. You're actually showing that there's a there's a different way. There's another kingdom. You are the salt of the world. This is who you are. And Jesus is graciously warning us of the ramifications and danger if we do not live as who we are, living out our identity. Again, he's speaking to Christians here. Yes, crowds are there, but he's speaking to somebody where, where your identity is rooted in him. This isn't about salvation here. This is about living out of it now. And then there's kingdom values on how we live out of that freely given grace. And that freely given grace should always transform a heart to want to obey God because that's what his grace does. But salt doesn't become salty on its own. God is the one who says, you are the salt. He's giving you this identity. And he says, you are the light. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 16. If you have an open Bible, it says this. He he quotes Isaiah and then Job 3. He says this in 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, to them a light has dawned, right? Uh, I, whenever I read that, I kind of thought about us. Uh, we, were, we were at Jadwin, which is, uh, we, we went twice on, on uh, two float trips, and man, one night, I'm not kidding you, the, the, the moon was beaming, Right. But have you ever tried to go outside, though, like during the day and look at the sun? I actually I advise you against it. It's pretty dangerous, um, but it's but it's very bright. Right. Um, but then what do we do, though? We we do look at the moon and marvel right? We look at the moon and we marvel and we think about its glory and its beauty, especially in the clarity of a a crisp night and a full moon, and the Lord just allows it to look bigger, you know, and like closer. And I'm sure there's some science that that Jason could tell you later on how that happens, right? But we happily stare at the moon. Why? Because the moon reflects something greater. The moon reflects the sun. And in the Bible, Jesus is the light to the nations, the light of the world, and Jesus chooses to pass his light to you and me. And the disciples' reflection of Jesus, like the moon's reflection of the sun, disciples are something too. And whenever they face him, right, whenever they face Jesus, whenever we face Jesus, we reflect his light to the world. Just like the sun is reflect or just like the moon is reflecting the light of the, the sun. Where our identity as salt had a warning attached to more of a lax disciple, the danger of saltlessness, right? So there is that, but keep following me here because it's beautiful. Our identity as light comes with a promise. So there is a warning. There's a declaration of identity. You are salt, you are light. There is a warning to the disciples, totally appropriate. And then, um, and then there's a promise. So look with me at verse fourteen. It says, "It says this. So you are you are the light of the world. Not a light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. What is Jesus saying here?" after giving a solemn warning that, that drives us to Jesus ultimately, right? Because if there's a warning about being saltless, we won't actually come to the Savior. We don't run away. We come to the one who, who gives us illumination and he gives our anxious heart encouragement by graciously reminding us that we only are effective as light because Jesus is the light of the world who now indwells us. So I hope you hear that this is not a gospel of you have to figure your life out. It's a gospel of, Whenever we, whenever we repent or we convert, we change what, is, what we're pursuing for our heart's desires and we change that to Jesus, the one who can actually fulfill that. Whenever we change that, he is the one who lights us up, who illuminates us. It's not because we figured something out. We're only effective because Jesus is the light of the world. And this is really good news. What this means for the disciples is the exact same for us. Again, whenever Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Jesus is saying, if we follow him, his promise is to make us salty in the best way. To make us salty, meaning we preserve goodness. Meaning we bring God's kingdom to every realm of life, to our friends, to our classmates, to the ways that we actually honor our teachers in doing hard, good work, right? Or whenever we go to work, not being the person who clocks in right? Early and, or like clocks in late and, but still has like his buddy clock in and then leaves early and has his buddy clock out, right? That's called stealing, right? But, and and I get it, like this is normal behavior to the world. So it's like we just do those things, but God is calling us to, to not just fall privy to those things, but to be different, to be salty in that way, not the, not the salty in the way that I know you're thinking. Go ahead, you can laugh, okay. And, um, and if we follow him, his promise is to make us a catching people, right? He says, you'll be catchers of men. Well, he gives us the saltiness and he gives us the light so that even whenever we go out and we share the gospel, it's still not based on, on us. It's still not based on our ability to articulate the gospel. It's still not based on our ability to be winsome. It's still not based on our ability to be, to be courageous. It's not based on any of that. What it's based on is Jesus, If we follow him, he promises to make the gospel interesting to the world. That's his promise. But oftentimes in the world, it feels like there's more persecution. But don't forget, that means it's working. Persecution and, and revilement and uttering all types of evil falsely on Jesus' account, that means something's happening. Remember, Jesus came as a sower and he's sowing seed, right? He's sowing seed. And you are a part of that seed. Jesus says the light doesn't light us up. Follow me. That's the light up. You whenever he says follow me, Jesus' word never goes out and returns empty. So whenever he says follow me as the Lord of life, your dead, your dead soul literally comes to life. It's resurrected through his voice. Just like in the beginning, whenever God said and things were, it's the same with our hearts. Whenever he says, follow me, and he awakens a deadened soul, he doesn't light you up to put you under a basket. That's what what it's saying, right? Read verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. He's saying, as Christians, you're going to be the light to all the world. He's saying, you think I called you to follow me and to take up your cross and to suffer and be persecuted? What, to be put under a basket? No, I want you to share, and I want you to know that it doesn't rely upon you and your ability. It relies upon your closeness to the shepherd. It relies upon the one who is the light bringer. It relies upon the one who came, and he says, I am the light of the world. When you're, whenever you know that your identity is salt and light, that's whenever we begin to grow up into this identity because now our identity aren't the secondary ones. Those things are important, but they're not the main identity in your life that's driving your motivations, that's driving your even down to your behavior. You're growing up into a new identity that God gives you freely based off of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is encouraging us here by saying, you don't need to live for others anymore. You don't need to live for others' approval. You don't need to be so concentrated on your body image that is destroying your mental health. You don't need that girl's approval. You don't need that guy's attention. You don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. You don't need to be anxious about your future. Why? Because you are mine. I have bought you at a price. And whenever I said to follow me, I'm not going to put you underneath a basket. I am going to allow, I'm going to use you, and it's going to be all me using you to display my light to the world. And that's where your identity is going to be because you are salt and you are light. I love you. You are this important to my kingdom. I didn't die for any reason, right? For no reason. I died for you, for y'all, if you will. This is our identity, right? He's saying, I died to be in relationship with you. That's how much Jesus wants you. Who else in your life wants you like that? Because I feel like we're looking at all these things and trying to get, 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 get. Well, that's why Jesus' kingdom is upside down because he's the one who is pursuing you and giving you everything that life is saying, get, 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 want, want, want. You're gonna to have to change, change, change. Everything that you're chasing is a shadow of what ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus, ultimately. I'm not saying you won't have struggles. I'm not saying that, right, even whenever you come to faith, you're not gonna be persecuted, right? You're not gonna need him daily. But they're shadows of what is gonna be met ultimately in him. And then it leads with this conclusion, right? Um, It's a command. This is the first command that he gives his disciples, which is important. The first command is this in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Am I the only one? Let your light shine up. Totally inappropriate. (laughs) Because my singing voice, that is. But in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? Because there's a purpose statement. So here's the command, but then he tells you the purpose so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. But you see that we believe, Christianity believes that God is a God of order. And so we are declared salt, we are declared light, we are declared righteous and adopted into his family. And now that we're in the kingdom of light, now he calls us to go forth. You see what I didn't say? He doesn't call us to go forth. And then you're good enough. If, you're, if, you just, if you shine bright enough, then you'll enter into the kingdom. Nope. Whenever he says, follow me, he's the one who brings salvation. He says, follow me, he lights you up. You don't light yourself up. Sorry, y'all. You, you don't. He does, but that's good news. Because what that means is you can rest. You can rest from this hamster wheel of trying to prove that you're enough. You can rest from this never-ending cycle of trying to up your resume or your identity or what other people think about you because your identity rests in Jesus, and with him, you are already fully loved and perfectly healed. Live out of the freedom, not live towards bondage. The goal is that people will be impressed by the Father who makes disciples this way, not the disciple. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, right, He's saying, so that they may see your good works, and you know exactly what it's like? It's like they're going to see the moon, but then they're going to see that there's something beyond the moon. So we don't do good works for our sake, we do them for the sake of God's glory, and that's just another way of saying worship. It's another way of saying that you are created to worship God, and so whenever he's in the proper position in your life, worshiping him, that is where you're going to be met and fulfilled in the things that we're chasing in the world. Jesus is telling us that we're a part of removing the veil from the earth's eyes so that they can see the Father. And it's good news that he chooses you and me to do that because that means he loves us, he cares about us, and he's restoring this world. Not to do away with it, but so that we can rest in his salvation and his deliverance for the rest of eternity. Why do you think in Genesis the seventh day never ended? Because the story wasn't over. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word this evening. I I, I pray that we would be so encouraged that you declare our identity as salt and light, but then you do give us a calling to go out into the world and to reveal you to it. But Lord, there's a hard calling and a hard warning um, that we have to come face to face with our sin and with, with even our want to to do the things of the world as well. But that doesn't make us Uh, any better. Um, But Lord, you're just, you're starting a new kingdom. Lord, help us to live out this kingdom, not for the sake of pride, but for the sake of glory and glorifying you. We pray this in the strong name of Christ. Amen. All right, music team, come back up. You can stand.